with chocolate treats mixed into dark chocolate ice cream, the Tillamook Chocolate Collection is a chocolate game changer because the thing that pairs best with chocolate is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no home, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan. Hi, Dan. Hello. I'm Lindsay, the Crystal Queen. Okay. The Crystal Queen today. Nice. I mean, you, it's not that you aren't normally that, but you don't normally announce yourself as that. Well, I've decided today's a new day. Feeling regal today. Well, actually, I'm feeling pretty spooked, so... Mm. I gotta. I was just over here doing this. I was doing like my protection spray. I'm not saying the opening cantation right now. Okay. I used to like say it along, and I think I. That was not a great idea. Oh, so it made you more freaked out. Uh, yeah. It's um, I kind of don't want to talk about it. I'm a little scared lately. Oh, okay. Well, uh, you'll be getting more scared here soon. But first, a couple announcements. Okay, what you got? A uh, new scared to death mask in the store. If you uh, you know, want to or have to mask up, you don't want to wear something to disposable or boring, you can spoop it up uh, at badmagicmerch.com. How much do we love the word spooped? <laughs> so stupid. I, I go back and forth. You, I think you like it more than me, but every once in a while I'm like, oh, I'll throw a little spoop in there. It's I just fine. think it's dumb, which is why <laughs> it I love is silly. it. Uh, thanks one last time to all of our Annabelles and Roberts for helping us give 12500 to the March Bad Magic Productions charity, the USC Show Foundation. So link in the episode description if mm-hmm. you'd like to learn more. A uh, quick live show reminder. Do tell. <laughs> thanks to the Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, Annabelles, and Bad Magicians who have already bought tickets to the April 22nd Scared to Death Live. Uh, bad Magicians are those who support Scared to Death, Time Suck, and Is We Dumb. Fantastic. We had a couple fans uh, send that in. That was not our idea. No, I, I love lo- it. I love it. It's genius. Genius. Uh, Thursday, April 22nd, 6 p.m. Pacific time. Do- uh, the doors, quote unquote, open. And then 6.30 p.m. is showtime. Woohoo! Very special episode of Scared to Death. You will feel scares in real time with us i'll be telling the tale of la uh, llorona i listened to this so many times it's it's this uh this weeping woman it's, uh-huh. it's uh la and then it's l-l-o-r-o-n-a and it was pretty funny where a uh i think it was buzzfeed but like two of the three hosts of this youtube show were both hispanic and they were like this is tricky like okay. the word the word and i listened to it on so many different videos and you have to like if like, if you're a fluent Spanish speaker, you can roll your tongue the right way to pull it off. La Llorona. La Llorona. La Llorona. I was saying it to myself in the room over and over. La Llorona. Well, when I announced this live. Or you rolled La Llorona. Right. When I was announcing this show yeah. live on the Scared to Death Instagram mm-hmm. channel, I said La Llorona. And like the. My te- Llorona? The, no. <laughs> 
Do you know I know her? <laughs> no. Anyways, um, the the tear laughing emojis, like people just making yeah. fun of me. They were mm-hmm. like, oh my God, you've got it so wrong. And I just said, I failed Latin twice and German once. So like, I don't have an for- ear for language. <laughs> yeah, gotta give me some forgiveness. Well, I, I heard it as La Llorona. You, I think you have nailed it. Llorona. Uh, Lindsay will share two frightening fan stories as well. The show will be interactive with your chance to participate in a live chat, polls, and a Q&A. Woohoo! Tickets $20 per person. You can go to badmagicmerch.com for details and tickets. Awesome sauce. Now, how many stories do you have, Lindsay Luhu? Oh, Lindsay Luhu. Hmm, like uh, Cindy Luhu. I know. I know who she is. <laughs> I, sometimes I have that hairdo. Yeah, the Whoville. Oh, so cute. I have two stories. Yeah. I have um, what I think is pretty interesting, a story from... I would say like a different kind of fan. Generally, Mm -hmm. it's just like, oh, you know, I'm just this person. But this person specifically is an LDS member who is on a mission. And so I feel like that is a different angle. Okay, yeah. You know, a Mm -hmm. different religion, different background, different scenario. Yeah. And then a haunted radio station. Oh, that's a yeah, different kind of location. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It made nice. me think of that movie with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Pirate Radio. I never it was saw it. a te- well, I loved it because it was like a great movie to me, but it did so bad at the box office. Oh man, like a really bad. He was such a good actor. I know. Uh, okay, so I have a different location as well. We're going to head to Alabama and go to the supposedly haunted Sloss Furnaces. Roll Tide. <laughs> that was for uh, Jamie Jean. And, and then, Elliot. And Elliot. And, oh, yeah, they're both, I guess, Roll Tide. Yeah. Uh, that's right. They went to school together there. And their most famous alleged apparition, the ghost of James Slag Wormwood. After that, we're going to... Don't. Please don't. Okay, thank you. I wanted to say something earlier. Oh, I wish you would have. About you drinking your drink right into the microphone. Well, I wasn't drinking. It's, it's that you hear this. <laughs> It's this, yeah. Oh, okay. boy. Well, I'm trying to... <laughs> I, I have an issue when I drink out of, like, a regular cup because I mm-hmm. can't get enough. I've been mm-hmm. so thirsty. You just got to slide... You just slap the mic off to the side, and then no one hears. Uh, hey, dude. Huh? I've been doing this just, you know, for, like, 82 episodes, and no huh? one's ever complained about my swallowing on mic because I always do this. Mm. It's it's this. It's the... All right. Well, if I can fi- figure it out. <laughs> Uh, after, after Alabama, <laughs> I'm going to throw this fucking crystal in your face. <laughs> we're going to go to Rhode Island and we're going to, uh, I'm going to tell the story one sentence, tell a story one sentence to famous demonologist Ed and Lorraine Warren's New England Society for Psychic Research. Okay. Story of a young woman riddled with guilt, trying to contact the dead to clear her conscience. Very unusual story. And I like it very much. I had mentioned this to you before a few weeks ago. If it okay. sounds familiar. No, no, I was actually thinking that that sounds like something I would do because mm. I don't. If I ever feel bad about something, I mean, I'm so ridiculous. Yeah. If I owe someone 50 cents, it like weighs on my chest. I can't sleep well, at night. Is... Like, so if I felt guilty yeah. about something, I think that would actually be as an adult, now that I'm past my Ouija board experimental phase, I that's the only reason I think I'd want to contact someone from beyond because I would, I yeah. can't walk around with that. I would never feel clear and light. And this is about way more than owing a money. This well, is big. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that makes sense. Okay. Okay. So you're ready to head to that haunted blast furnace? Little, oh, bit, little bit of setup. Blast furnace. Yeah. Bring it on. Okay. Sloss furnaces. Uh, very cool place, actually. I want to go there after reading this story. Okay. Now a national historic landmark in Birmingham, Alabama, and a museum. And it houses a nationally recognized metal arts program and also a really cool concert and festival venue. Cool. Uh, and it's allegedly extremely haunted. Sloss operated as a pig iron, a.k.a. crude iron, producing blast furnace from 1882 all the way to 1971. Raw ore turned into crude iron thanks to a lot of fiery heat and chemicals. After closing, Sloss became one of the first industrial sites in the U.S. and the only blast furnace to to be preserved and restored for public use. 
back when it first opened in 1882, Sloss instantly became a major contributor to America's industrial revolution. From skyscrapers in New York's glittering skyline to automobiles being built in Detroit, America came to rely on Birmingham and Sloss furnaces for providing a lot of the materials needed to produce thousands of products. Birmingham's population exploded, thanks largely to the furnaces. Its population went from just over 3,000 in 1880, two years before Sloss opened, to over 132,000 by 1910. Tens of thousands of Birmingham men worked in the furnaces over the years and working in uh, this uh, steel furnace, especially in the late 19th and early 20th century, was dangerous work. Many of the men died horrible deaths. A fair number of them were driven to their deaths by slag wormwood. In the early 1900s, James Slag Wormwood was a foreman on the graveyard shift. He led a skeleton crew of nearly 150 workers toiling throughout the night to keep the furnaces fed. Even at night, work in the furnaces for these men was painfully hot. The temperature in Birmingham, without humidity, can top 100 degrees Fahrenheit in the summer during the day. Add 50 to 60% relative humidity to that, and the heat is punishing. I'm dying just thinking of it. Add the temperatures of a blast furnace. Oh, my Lord. Where fires reach 1,600 to over 4,000 degrees, and the temperature around the furnaces in the days before AC and cruder furnace construction could reach anywhere, according to several sources, from 120 to 150 degrees. I would, I would literally fall over. I don't do well in the heat. The terrible hours and the terrible heat... The rough manual labor nature of the work itself made working the furnace a living hell, and only the poorest of workers, desperate for employment, would take that graveyard shift to work it. These workers, mostly recently arrived immigrants, often lived in cramped housing located on the furnace site and would be brutally exploited by their new bosses. According to the legends of the Sloss Hauntings, that foreman, James Slag Wormwood, eager to impress his supervisors, made these immigrant workers take dangerous and needless risks all the time. There was no thought to their safety, only to what might speed up production. During his multi-year reign, 47 workers lost their lives, 10 times more than any other shift in the history of the furnace. Countless others lost their ability to work due to terrible accidents, mishaps, even a recorded explosion in the small blowing engine house in 1888 that left six workers burned blind. There were no breaks for Wormwood. Uh, There were only feeding when you're working for Wormwood. There was only feeding the always hungry and always hot furnaces with more and more coal. Time now for the tale of the ghost of Wormwood. In August of 1906, James Slag Wormwood died in the same furnace where he'd pushed so many other men to their early graves. He lost his footing at the top of Big Alice, the highest blast furnace, and he plummeted down into a pool of melted iron ore. His body melted instantaneously. At first, it was reported that Slag must have become dizzy from the methane gas created by the furnace and lost his balance, but that wouldn't explain why he was up at the top of Big Alice. Slag reportedly had never set foot on top of the furnace during his years of employment at Sloss. There was no good reason for him to be up there. Soon, rumors spread that some of Slag's workers had finally had enough of his inhuman treatment, and they dragged him to the top of Big Alice and threw him in. If true, they got away with it. No workers were ever charged or brought to trial. Shortly after Slag's death, paranormal sightings began to be reported at night during the graveyard shift. Sloss Industries soon discontinued the graveyard shift, citing numerous reports of increased accidents and strange incidents that were decreasing steel production. The legend of Slag grew each year after his disappearance. Workers complained of an unnatural presence they increasingly encountered throughout the worksite. 
a night watchman in 1926, sustained serious injuries after claiming that something pushed him from behind and angrily told him in a deep voice to get back to work. When he rolled over after hitting the ground, he saw no one and heard no one running away after pushing him. In 1947, three supervisors all turned up missing one afternoon. They were found unconscious and locked in a small boiler room in the southeastern part of the plant. None of them could explain exactly what had happened to them, but all three agreed they'd been approached by a man they didn't know shortly before they blacked out. A man whose skin appeared badly burned and who angrily shouted at them to push some steel uh, was reported seen. Another horrifying encounter took place in 1971, the night before the plant closed. The graveyard shift had been restored and Samuel Blumenthal, the last Sloss night watchman, who was nostalgically taking one final look about, found himself face to face with, quote, the most frightening thing he had ever seen. He described what he encountered simply as evil, a half man, half demon, who tried to push him up the stairs and then beat him unconscious with its fists. When he was found, he was found covered with intense burns, and then he died from his wounds a short time later. Ugh. All told, there have been more than 100 reports of suspected paranormal activity at Sloss Furnaces recorded in Birmingham police records. From minor incidents, such as steam whistles apparently blowing by themselves, to major sightings and the rare physical assault. And hundreds and hundreds of other reported sightings have not made police records. And the overwhelming majority of these reports happened during the hours of the old graveyard shift. Almost all are attributed to the restless spirit of the, sadi of the sadistic foreman, Slag. A number of paranormal investigations have been conducted at Sloss, and they all seem to have reported paranormal activity. In 2000, Sloss was studied by the paranormal team of Fox's Scariest Places, who concluded that it had one of the highest rates of unnatural energy they'd ever encountered. In 2003, the Alabama Foundation for Paranormal Research stated, Sloss is one of the most paranormally active places our team has ever investigated. Alleged attacks have continued since the furnace was converted into a museum and concert venue. On October 4th, 2003, a man named Josh Thomas, who worked at Sloss, allegedly suddenly caught fire. Oh my gosh. After seeing a strange shape, he suffered burns up and down his body and was taken to the hospital. Encounters continue to this day and don't always happen at night. I'll share one more posted on the web in 2008. A woman named Crystal Lee reported that she'd visited Sloss Furnaces on two separate occasions along with two of her friends. The first time she went on a museum tour, she and her friends took a lot of photos and spent a lot of time in a room called the, the Blowing Engine Room. They read about how this room was where the majority of the men worked and also where the most of the worst deaths occurred. And she says that she and her friends heard unexplained banging noises and the sounds of footsteps seeming to emanate from places where no one was walking. She also says she took a photo of one of her friends standing by an old wheel where a worker once supposedly got snagged by the wheel, spinning incredibly fast, and the wheel then crushed and basically ground him into nothing. Uh. While taking the picture, Crystal Lee and her friends felt the temperature drop around them. When she looked at the photo on her phone, there was a shadowy shape that showed up behind her two friends, a shape sitting atop the wheel. Oh, God. All three of them broke out in goosebumps. All three wanted to leave the room immediately. A true creeper, uh, Crystal Lee soon returned to Sloss for a second visit, this time with a different friend. She said at the time, the schedule stated that Sloss Museum was open Tuesday to Friday, 10 to 4 p.m. They showed up on a Monday afternoon instead, and encountering no one in the museum area, played dumb and acted like the old machines outside were free for them to explore on their own. Uh-oh. And as soon as they made it outside, Crystal Lee and her friend felt like they were being watched. 
Then when they stood near the biggest furnace, as they read about the different machines and how they worked, Crystal Lee spotted a shadowy figure peeking out from behind a pole. Soon after she laid eyes on it, it ducked back behind the pole and was gone. Not long afterwards, when Crystal Lee and a friend went into a tunnel, her friend stated that he thought he saw a dark shadowy figure standing next to her for a moment. Not wanting to freak her out, he didn't tell her about the entity until they left. After the tunnel, they went inside the blowing engine room, began to walk around. Seconds after entering the room, they both began to feel lightheaded, nauseated, weak, and full of fear. And then, out of nowhere, they heard a disconnected voice yell, Back to work! Oh my god. Crystal Lee says they ran like they'd never ran before. Looking back before they made it back inside, she says she saw the shadow of a man who she would later come to believe was the ghost of Slag Wormwood, stuck somehow in time over a century after his death still trying to drive long dead workers to stroke the old or to stoke the old furnaces that have now been cold for decades. So there's a lot of like little tiny like a you know shadow person here, voice here, and then a few of those weird there's not a lot of details, yeah. but a few of those weird were like assaulted. Mm-hmm. A, a couple of different ones and then the assaults really, came with burns. I know that's really um uh, uncom- what's the unsettling? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like un- un- uncomfortable, <laughs> right? Unsettling, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very cool place. I know. Do you have pictures of yeah, it? Yeah, I'm I have hoping quite that a few. you do. And then I have to tell, I have to say how much I love Birmingham, Alabama. Oh yeah, you had a very special moment uh, evening I, there. I did walking it's, in the rain. Yes, it was very important. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this first picture, uh, old picture of uh, Sloss here. Okay. Oh, I get it now. Okay. Yeah, all those stacks. That's not what I was picturing in my head. I mean, I Mm -hmm. knew what you were talking about, but in my mind, I was... This is not what I was envisioning. Well, and and all the terminology is a little bit confusing. It's like... um you know, it's a, like for that industry, I'm sure people who have worked in the steel mill would right. be like, well, actually, uh, you refer to this as that. You know, it has right. its own like lingo mm-hmm. that is just uh, part of that industry. Yeah. So I was talking about furnaces, but I, I think they're the furnaces, I believe, how to describe it, like the bottom part where you would load the coal and stuff. And then above that is the smokestack. I think it's all kind of. Uh, one continuous thing. I, I'll believe whatever you tell me. I, bl- I think it's okay uh, if you didn't get it right. I mean, it's you yeah. know, it's, you're you're not a smokestack expert. I'm not. A, I'm, I didn't go to school for smokestacks. No, no, you're not uh, a steel yard <laughs> m- a master. Uh, here's another picture of uh, an old picture of the Sloss furnace here. It, it's so funny. I grew up in Cleveland where there was a big steel mm-hmm. mill and this all, uh, there's, um, oh God, what's it called? The steel yard. I think it's like a shopping yeah. center now, you know, because oh. it just doesn't exist anymore mm-hmm. in, in the same capacity. And I'll, and I'll have pictures of how they converted it to. Here's a, here's a vat of molten pig iron being poured into an open hearth furnace. I'm sorry. Did you say pig iron? Yeah. It's the way they describe like the ore, like the raw ore, like, uh, oh, and, and okay. then they, like, and then because what? of this extreme heat and they add chemicals to it and all this stuff, that's how they get like the crude iron mm-hmm. to then make the steel. Mm. I mean, I'm sure it'd be like a lengthy kind of academic presentation, but you know, like they take the stuff that they actually find in the ground and with like extreme heat and the introduction of a few chemicals is how they get it into like iron ore. Mm -hmm. And then that is uh, refined further into like stainless steel and all that stuff. But pig, pig iron, pig iron is just like a term for some of the, uh, a type of raw iron. Huh? Okay. Um, I believe, uh, that's not what it means in my head. In my head, it is the combination of all the things because mm-hmm. I, this is so stupid. Uh, it made pigs make me think of sausage, and I feel like sausage is just like a combination of a lot of different pig parts. Mm, maybe that is how they got it. <laughs> so I decided. <laughs> I don't know. I, don't know I decided it it's from. a combination of a lot of things. It's like a, it's like a little bit of bacon. It's yeah. a little bit of sausage. It's like a tiny bit of a hot dog. There you go. <laughs> 
Uh, and then this is super cool. Uh, and these pictures, by the way, you can find them at Scared to Death Podcast, Instagram, or Facebook. You sure can. Uh, the, this old furnace, it's been converted into a concert space. This is from the 2017 Sloss Music and Arts Festival. That is really cool. Yeah. It looks like an awesome place to watch a show. I was getting excited because in my brain, I was trying to remember if I had been to that music venue, but that's not it. When oh, okay. I was on tour with a musician. And so I was like, but no. Yeah. yeah. And one last photo. Yeah. In the days before COVID, maybe this Halloween again, they will convert it into a haunted house. So they've Ooh. done that in the past too. And it looks like a great like haunted house to go through. Oh, what a good backdrop. Mm-hmm. Very, you know, just this complete industrial. And, and they've had like raves and things. It just, sure. It's just a really cool multi-purpose space now. Did you ever go to a rave? Uh, you know, I went to like little in Spokane, Washington, like little silly kind of like, oh, dance clubs that would have like a rave night. But I never, I oh. never went to a proper rave. I don't know. Uh, and in England, I went to a couple like, uh, nightclubs that were electronica. Oh yeah. yeah. That's not the but same. Never a proper rave. No. I, I thought I had been to like a proper rave. I thought it was so cool. Yeah. No, I'd been to like warehouse parties, ah. you know, it was like, you know, old abandoned warehouse cool. or whatever, you know, like just, but like a group of people here and a group of people there, there was. It was not as cool as it they sounds. Didn't, they didn't have a DJ and lots of Molly no. rolling around. No, no, I, you know, I've never done Molly. I said I would, mm. but you just you seem uninterested. So well, I don't know where it is. I've, I've had I don't it. Know. We're too old to find drugs. <laughs> <laughs> At our age, Joe was nah. doing something for Is We Dumb, and yeah. he was like, "And there's this guy, and he's got this many followers, and this guy, and he's like, and I've never heard of a single one of them." I'm like, yeah, because we're old now. Oh no! Well, you just can't keep yeah, up on I everything, I Dan. I know. Okay, I couldn't keep up on everything when I was nineteen. I could. But I was cooler than you, so that's okay. <laughs> okay, that was interesting, for sure. Yeah, just a different location. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm glad that I got to talk about how much I love Birmingham. Uh, also, I was thinking about just, like, the burning. Just the terrible, like, the people who were burned blind. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. How horrific. There are so many awful things that can happen to you for a variety of reasons. Like, you know, you had a bit bad car wreck and, you yeah. know, your arm's mangled or you lose an arm. Like, right, there are so many things that can happen to you. Burns in particular freak me out. Right. I think I've seen too many medical dramas that don't act accurately depict things. But yeah. I just think about being in a burn unit where they have to put that, like, wet cloth on you because mm-hmm. you don't have any skin. Oh, and then my they, God, yeah. And, and anything I've ever seen again tv movies i'm not sure that this is accurate is that they can't give you any sort of medication for the pain like you just pass out from the pain Mm. while they're fixing it and i want to say that they always say it's because like it would thin your blood and then you know like you're you're an open wound burns would be a ghost that can burn you would be especially terrifying i feel like it could potentially be the worst thing i feel like i would rather see a shadow man than be chased around by somebody who could burn me yeah hmm Eek. You didn't ask me about my socks today. Yeah, what, what kind of socks you got on? I'm wearing some it's old Christmas I, socks, mm-hmm. but I love them. They're from Lindsay in Florida, <laughs> and I just nice. think they're so hilarious. There you go. And then, and then English and Alabama listeners, uh, I'm aware that it's Birmingham in America, uh-huh. Birmingham in England. Birmingham. You've been to both, I believe. I have. I have. And yeah. actually, I love them both, but neither here nor there. <laughs> uh, you ready to head to Rhode Island now? Oh, man. I also have a great story about Rhode Island. I, Rhode Island is great. It is tiny. But it great. is tiny. I stayed there for a few months, really close to RISD. What's RISD? Rhode Island School of Design. Oh, okay. I don't know. I, know. Okay. <laughs> I love how you toss it out there like it's a known school. No, I, RISD. It actually, it actually is. Amongst design people, amongst the average person, I'm going to say no. Amongst people who are looking at colleges that have to do with the arts. Design people. <laughs> Uh, before we it's a feisty episode today. <laughs> 
Before we tell a tale of horror and attempted redemption, uh, first a break for some awesome sponsors. What is the most basic gift you have ever given the moms in your life for Mother's Day? Flowers? A candle? Some random knickknack you picked up at the last minute because you completely spaced Mother's Day? I have definitely made the mistake of procrastinating gifts for Mother's Day. And then, like the Friday before, I run to whatever store is open and convince myself that, yes, yes, my mom does need another coffee mug that declares she's the world's (laughs) best. So lame. This year, how about one-upping yourself by giving the moms in your life an Aura picture frame? Named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to any mom at any age. Aura frames connect easily to Wi-Fi and have unlimited storage so you can share as many pictures as you want. This year, as many of you know, I am on a spending freeze, but one of my carve-outs was meaningful gifts for the people I love. I don't want to give all of the moms in our lives something that won't bring them joy. We are giving Aura frames to the moms in our world because they are timeless, heartwarming gifts. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code SCARED at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Summer is just around the corner. Who's excited? I know I am. With the warmer, sunnier days calling your name, the last place you're going to want to be is in your kitchen, cooking, and meal prepping. Make your life easier with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Factors Never Frozen, Always Fresh Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Think of all the extra time you will get outside in the summer sun when you aren't wasting hours in the kitchen. I think I speak for everyone when I say that the summer is the busiest time of the year. We are all trying to cram in as many things as possible, from concerts to vacations and everything in between. With Kyler home from college and Monroe on her break too, I want to spend as much time as possible with them. And while I truly love to cook, the summer is the one time of year that I'm the least interested in doing that for three meals a day. So I lean on Factor to help keep me healthy and in step with my diet. I'm obsessed with the honey yogurt pancakes for breakfast, the pork El Pastor for lunch, and the cilantro lime barramundi for dinner. So easy and saves me so much time. Head to factormeals.com slash scaredtodeath50 and use code scaredtodeath50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code scaredtodeath50 at factormeals.com slash scaredtodeath50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Who doesn't love a little special something? A gourmet cupcake from your favorite bakery or a lovely bottle of wine? Do you ever splurge on a massage or an expensive meal? If you treat yourself to the best of the best when it comes to the things you enjoy, why would you settle for less when it comes to your health? Your health should be a top priority. I mean, you have one body to get you through this entire life. Why not treat that body to the best? ZocDoc is the place you can find and book tens of thousands of top-tier doctors, all with verified patient reviews. Don't settle for anything but the best because you deserve the best. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. I've been battling some insane heartburn lately. I tried all the -the over-the-counter things, cut out spicy food, alcohol, but I just can't seem to get any relief. After speaking with my family doctor, he suggested I see a gastroenterologist. Knowing I could find an amazing doctor within seconds on ZocDoc, I went to their website, entered my zip code and insurance information, and began to scroll the reviews of all the available doctors in my area that could help me find a solution to my problem. And I did it all in just a few clicks. So easy. Go to ZocDoc.com scared and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find a book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C 
D-O-C.com slash scared. ZocDoc.com slash scared. Thanks again for listening and allowing us to have sponsors, Creeps and Peepers. Now it's time for a story about a troubled teen trying to right an old wrong and turning guilt into a nightmare. I love that you are not over even there try- so I'm laughing. Not, I'm not even trying to be feisty. <laughs> <laughs> well, you sure are. Uh, <laughs> the basis of this story comes from a collection of alleged firsthand accounts of encounters with paranormal with the paranormal sent in years ago to famed demonologist Ed and Lorraine Warren's New England Society for Psychic Research. Uh, I, I cleaned what I found online up quite a bit, cut out some random details to pick the pace up, but did not change any of these spooky paranormal details. This is a weird story. Okay. We're going to get right into it. Let's do it. Time now for the tale of I'm Sorry. The year was 1958, the place somewhere in Rhode Island. It was prom night. The Greenland sisters, two high school girls, were getting ready for the big dance. Jill was a junior, Audrey a senior, and Audrey decided to go for a quick walk before their dates were to arrive. She threw on her brother's peacoat and walked down the road in front of their house that was now covered with fallen autumn leaves. As Audrey walked and the occasional car drove by, she daydreamed about ghosts. Two months earlier, she'd picked up a magazine devoted solely to the paranormal. She read some stories in it about people making contact with the dead, and she couldn't stop thinking about them. She also couldn't stop thinking about Laura. When Audrey was eight, she'd lost her best friend Laura to a freak schoolyard accident. After And Laura's death had haunted her, not in the way of ghosts, but in the way of feeling responsible for it. Audrey had never told anyone exactly what had happened. Well, no one except her therapist and her father. Laura's death was an accident, to be clear, and she was only eight, but she was also a lot more responsible for Laura's death than she'd let on. It happened on the playground. Audrey and Laura were horsing around on top of the jungle gym one afternoon at recess, and while playing some silly game, Audrey had given little Laura a playful push. Oh, God. Just like she'd done so many times before, just like Laura had done to her so many times before, and no one had ever gotten hurt. Not until this time. This time, Laura lost her grip and screamed as she fell to the ground. Audrey could still hear that scream like it was happening now. Laura flipped around, and as she fell, she landed directly on her head. Mm. Audrey had actually heard her neck snap, (gasps) another sound she'd never forget. Even at eight, Audrey knew instantly that Laura was dead. The way her left arm and right leg laid so twisted and still, and the unnatural angle of her neck. Several other girls gathered around to see what had happened to their little friend. One of the girls crawled through the jungle gym and went over to Laura. Audrey watched, frozen in place. She felt sick, terrified. All she could do was stare down at Laura in horror. The girl who'd come to help Laura started screaming. Two other girls ran to a teacher. Audrey still hadn't moved when the teacher returned. She watched, unmoving, as she lifted the small broken body of her friend and carried it over to the grass. Oh my god. She was so scared. Sad also, but to be honest with herself, mostly scared. Scared of getting in trouble. In so much trouble. All she could think of was giving Laura that little playful push. All she could think of was killing her friend. At the funeral, Laura's mother walked past Audrey and her parents without saying a word. Audrey told her teacher that they were playing, that she couldn't remember why her friend had fallen. It all happened so fast. Laura's mother held Audrey personally responsible for her daughter's death. She never spoke to Audrey again. For Laura's family, time stopped. For Audrey, life went on almost exactly as before just with one less friend to play with, with a new terrible memory and some guilt, a lot of guilt. Despite the guilt, Audrey went on to become a popular and straight-A student and to be considered one of the prettiest and most popular girls in the entire high school. 
By the time she'd made it into high school, no one really asked her about Laura anymore. If kids still associated her with that dreadful day on the playground, they didn't bring it up around her, and Audrey certainly didn't bring it up around them. She did bring it up to a therapist, one she saw once a month for seven years now. Her visits helped her feel like the guilt wouldn't grow so big inside of her that it would drown her. In addition to therapy, a quiet, lonely walk would often help, like the one she was taking now. Get all of her thoughts and feelings about Laura rearranged and compartmentalized again so she could actually enjoy going to prom. The past two months, it had been harder than ever to not think about Laura. Hard not to think about someone who she'd been constantly now trying to contact. Over a month ago at the drugstore, the impulse purchase of a magazine with articles about becoming a spiritualist and contacting the dead had sent her life in a new direction. Oh boy. She'd become obsessed with trying to contact Laura's spirit. She thought if she could contact her and get her forgiveness, she could stop feeling terrible. She could get rid of all that guilt and put it behind her. That's not how it works. In that magazine, she'd read about a young New Jersey girl who'd visited a cemetery daily, and in doing so, claimed she'd contacted the spirit of her younger sister. Audrey then thought this was how she could reach Laura. Over the next five weeks, while everybody else was focused on prom, Audrey became increasingly obsessed with the occult. She'd spent hours in the library and in dusty used bookstores trying to find every book possible on the subject of communicating with the dead. Now, when Audrey went for her walks, it was straight to the nearby Smithfield Cemetery. She spent hours in the graveyard, using every method she'd found in the books to try and contact Laura. And she was never able to reach her. Not until the night of prom. The theme of the prom was the familiar Stairway to the Stars. A five-piece band played the day's top tunes, everything from rock and roll to Tony Bennett. Audrey and her sister Jill went together with their dates, and then after the dance, the Greenland girls and the boys they'd went to the dance with headed out to a nice restaurant. And then their dates took them the long way home, hoping to get in a make-out session or maybe more on the way. <laughs> Audrey wasn't interested. While her sister Jill made out with the boy in the back seat, she stared out the front passenger window, waiting to get home. Her parents had told her and Jill they had to be home by midnight. As they drove, sometime after 11 p.m., they passed the Smithfield Cemetery. That was when Audrey saw her. She saw what looked like a little girl standing near the road. Oh, shit. She screamed and her date Craig slammed on the brakes. She asked the others if they'd seen the girl standing at the edge of the cemetery. No one had. Audrey asked again, Are you sure? She was right out in plain sight, right, right on the edge of the road. Craig shrugged. I didn't see her, Audrey. Honest. Jill and her date didn't see her either. They all looked towards the cemetery, and of course, now she wasn't there. Craig started driving again. Audrey stared out the window at the dark headstones. She didn't care what the others might be thinking about her, and her scream, she knew what she'd seen. She couldn't see the little girl anymore, but she knew that she had seen her, and she knew who she was. Laura. It had worked. She'd made contact. She thought if she showed up once, she'd show up again. She needed to go back. She needed to ask her for forgiveness. She needed to tell her she was sorry. Sorry for killing her. After Greg walked Audrey to her front door that night and gave her a kiss goodnight, her dad showed up and asked her if she'd had a good time. Audrey said she did. And then growing tense after her date had left, she told her father that she'd seen Laura as they drove past the cemetery. Her dad gently grabbed her by the shoulders, looked her in the eyes, and told her it wasn't your fault. It was just an accident. A terrible accident. And Audrey, tears welling up in her eyes, told him, But I pushed her, Dad. She wouldn't be dead if I hadn't pushed her. Her dad then pulled her in close and let her cry. Soon she calmed down a bit, and not long after that, she went to bed. She laid down, but she couldn't sleep. She couldn't stop thinking about the little girl she'd seen on the road next to Smithfield Cemetery. Why hadn't Craig seen the girl? 
Had it simply just been in her imagination? After laying and thinking about Laura for about an hour, she decided to get up and sneak out to the cemetery. Would she see her again? Oh, boy. The house was silent and dark when she quietly walked out and shut the front door. The night was cold. The road leading to the cemetery was empty. She wore her long winter coat, putting her head down and walking briskly to try and warm up and to make it to the graveyard that much more quickly. The closer she got, the more she was sure she would see her old friend again. By the time she reached the graveyard, she was downright excited. She knew she'd see her old friend tonight. She walked over to a large headstone at the cemetery's edge and called for Laura's spirit in the way she'd learned in her occult studies. At first, like all the other times she'd tried, when she made the incantation, she only heard the sounds of the world around her. She heard, this night, the wailing wind, the pitter-patter of light rain on the sodden ground, and the distant roar of traffic. Laura, please, talk to me, she pleaded. I saw you. I saw you earlier tonight. I know I did, she said as she stared at the headstone. Still nothing. She then closed her eyes and thought of additional incantations she'd read about, all the strange words for summoning up the dead she'd memorized over the past few months. And then suddenly, she heard a voice in the darkness, speaking right beside her. Oh, fuck. It said, Audrey, you killed me, Audrey. (gasps) When Audrey opened her eyes, only a few feet away stood the glowing form of a young girl dressed in jeans and a blouse, her hair done in pigtails the way Laura's had always been. Oh, God. Was she really seeing Laura right now? Could this all be real? A curious yellow light surrounded her. It seemed to radiate out from somewhere on her body. The glow enclosed the little girl. Then Audrey noticed the girl's face. Something was wrong with her skin. Her skin looked like it had been ravaged by some kind of disease, the flesh eaten away in places. All Audrey could think of was lepers and leprosy. Her excitement turned to fear. The girl put out her hand for Audrey to touch. Large sores showed on the skin. She looked like she was rotting. Was this Laura? Or someone or something else. Who are you? Audrey barely managed to say. The young girl smiled, but the expression was not friendly. There was hatred, real hatred in it. I'm your friend, Laura. The friend you killed, remember? Oh my god, get the fuck out of there. You're not Laura, said Audrey with a shaky voice. You don't look anything like Laura. And she didn't. The thing she may have conjured, she didn't know what it was, but it was not her old friend. This girl, this monster, then lunged at Audrey, grabbing the sleeve of her coat and ripping it from the shoulder. Audrey screamed as she pulled away. The little girl now began to circle her. Whenever Audrey tried to move, the girl moved too, blocking her way out of the cemetery. The girl soon lashed out again, grabbing the other sleeve and ripping it away. You're going to look like me in a little while, the little girl yelled at one point. Audrey looked desperately around the graveyard for some means of escape. As the little girl moved closer and closer to her, she continued to radiate that peculiar yellow light. You called me, Audrey, she said, and now you're going to be my friend! Fuck. The little girl's voice had become lower now, almost as if a man were lurking inside the girl's body. Spotting the path to the fence and away from the cemetery, Audrey turned and ran. She reached past the last of the headstones and started to turn right toward the road. That was when the girl jumped on Audrey's back, knocking her to the ground. Audrey struggled to get out from under her and couldn't. Lying on her stomach, she kept kicking and flailing her arms as best she could, bucking, trying to throw the girl off. The girl yanked and tugged on Audrey's hair so hard that Audrey started to scream. Then the girl jumped from Audrey's back and ran around and screamed at her, You killed Laura! You killed your best friend! As Audrey struggled to get to her feet, the glowing girl jumped on her again and now seized her throat, starting to strangle her. Oh my god. The stench was terrible. Up close, the girl was even more hideous. The leper-like sores oozing, the eyes a crimson color, and the girl choked her harder, harder, until Audrey felt herself begin to sink into total darkness. She heard her own muffled screams fade. She felt her fist clench and unclench, and then 
It was all darkness. Oh, my God. Six hours later, Audrey opened her eyes to see her parents and her sister standing above her. They were smiling. You're all right now, hon, her mother said. Thanks to your sister, said her dad. Jill smiled. I heard you get up last night and I got worried about you. When I heard you go out the door, I put my coat over my pajamas and went after you. I figured you were headed for the graveyard. That's where I found you. Audrey thought back to last night, the walk to the cemetery, the little girl, the strange glow, the strangling. Audrey said, did you see her? Jill looked at her parents before answering. See who, Audrey? Oh, no. The little girl. Laura, you mean? No, it it wasn't Laura. It was a different little girl. Jill looked at her parents again. The smiles were gone. They were concerned. Her sister said, I'm afraid the only person I saw there was you, Audrey. But there was a little girl, Audrey protested. There was a glow all around her. She was strangling me and... And she quit talking, knowing how insane she might sound. Glowing little girls in midnight graveyards? What's that? Her dad suddenly asked, pointing at a small green oval several inches below the crook of her elbow. The oval was rough to the touch, and it was faintly warm, too. Audrey shook her head. I don't know. Let's have a closer look at that, her mom said. Her mom and dad spent the next 20 minutes examining this patch of her skin. They'd never seen anything like it. Does it hurt, hun? Her mom asked. Uh, uh-huh. Does it burn? Mm, not really. Then Audrey added, I think it's from that little girl. I mean, I, I know you don't believe me that I actually saw her, but I did. I, I think this is a mark from her where she attacked me. Her dad glanced at her mom. Audrey could tell that they were beginning to believe her story at least a little bit, or at least she hoped they might be. And then the impossible seemed to happen, and the mark suddenly faded completely away, totally gone. No evidence whatsoever that a curious green oval with a very rough surface had been there. Weird. Over the next six weeks, Audrey's parents began to take her story a little more seriously. They had seen the mark, they felt it was not of natural origin, and then they'd watched it disappear. After talking more with their daughter of all the occult rituals she'd been performing, they ended up bringing in a priest. The priest had Audrey get rid of all her books and magazines on the occult and, of course, agreed never to dabble in it ever again. He blessed her, made her promise him to stay away from that cemetery and stop trying to contact Laura. And as far as I know, Laura never saw whatever that little girl was ever again. It's an interesting little tale uh, that never made it into the uh, Ed and Lorraine kind of movie universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, just one sent into their research society many, many years ago. It's just so... Ugh. The the actual story of what happened, mm-hmm. it's just... So, I, mean, I was getting teary-eyed because it's just so sad because it is so... Like, it's every time we've ever yelled at our kids, like, knock it the fuck off. Someone's going to get hurt. Right. I was imagining them, like, on the top of, like, monkey bars or mm-hmm, something, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, Jungle Jam monkey bars. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. I just was like, oh, my God. Like, I, you know, even as a teenager, you know, you mm-hmm. would go to, like, an old schoolyard and you'd yep. sit up top and smoke a couple cigarettes and you're mm-hmm. joking around. Like, it's uh, it's not that far to the ground. That's, you know, how people break their arms. I mean, yeah. it's just, oh, And what God. if it was a neck? Right, and it would be just an accident but Mm -hmm, but the guilt oh the guilt and for some reason i feel like the guilt is worse for a child because Mm -hmm. you know i they don't have the same set of reasoning skills that Mm -hmm. we have same Same ability to process it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then it's and and maybe it's because then it's with you for longer like you know Mm -hmm. if it was you and me like you know like of equal age and just with like a friend or whatever and you like accidentally knock them off and they get hurt yeah you don't have as many years to live with it, right? right. We're halfway to the end. It's and it's like, oh, God. 
Yeah. yeah, I just then if you are young when that happens and you have your own kids, you probably like ban your kids from jungle gyms. Oh my forever. god! Yeah, absolutely. Oof! Yeah. I get why she wanted to make it right, mm-hmm. but you know when you were saying that she got those magazines and she was practicing practicing these incantations, I think the thing that like stood out to me is that of of course she conjured up something that wasn't fucking Laura. Of course, mm-hmm. you don't know the power of what you're saying or doing. And that's the thing that's come up in a lot of these stories is, you know, again, if, uh, if all this is real, you know, like uh, just because you may be able to actually open a door into the unknown, that doesn't mean that you can also choose who comes through it right? And or can, what comes through it. And do you know how to close it? And do you right. know how to handle it when something comes through that you don't want? And, mm-hmm. you know, I just think if we are approaching it from this perspective that this is all possible mm-hmm. and this is all entirely real or or possible to be real it's like just think about you know how dangerous it really could be you know right. I, I know i know like your stance and i was like well i think it'd be fun to see something and i i get the morbid curiosity the but it's like i don't know i also like wonder what it would feel like to drive a car off a fucking cliff but you don't see me doing that <laughs> right, right right there's that thing that curiosity where it's like oh my god it'd be so cool to like for sure see especially with other witnesses around like some dark entity mm-hmm. but uh, it's not like once you see it, it's like uh, it's like you're on a tour through a safari oh my and be like, hey, there it is. And then you just keep driving. It's like, what if that thing fucking comes and does something to you? Right. And now it's the worst thing that has literally ever happened to you. Yeah. I think you just, all things in moderation. Even demons. Even demons. Be smart. <laughs> be smart. Uh, uh, okay, I, okay. I have a few pictures. I, I just have a picture of the Smithfield Cemetery. Okay. Um, and then another picture of the Smithfield Cemetery, just to have something go along with this. Mm-hmm. And then randomly looking for this, I, I, I Googled Little Girl Monster Cemetery. I was just <laughs> okay, trying to find get? information. I have, what the hell? Uh, Burt Reynolds' tombstone <laughs> came up. <laughs> what? And then when I, you know, clicked on the Burt Reynolds thing, the image, well, then also this picture of Burt Reynolds came up <laughs> of him. Stop it. That's such a famous image. Smoking and laying naked on a bearskin rug. But what did you Google? I, Demon I Googled girl little, cemetery? I Googled little girl monster cemetery and Burt Reynolds tombstone came up. That is very interesting. Yeah, so rest in peace, the the bandit, nineteen thirty six to two thousand eighteen. I forgot that he passed away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He had, a, a good, he, had a, he had a great run. He sure did. He was handsome for all of it. <laughs> he was. He, he was. He really was. I. I don't know how much time you've really spent in cemeteries. I mean, well, actually, uh, I know that uh, you used to bit. like picnic and play in cemeteries. <laughs> Did you ever feel like there was anything around when you were there? Or were you not cognizant uh, of it? I don't remember feeling like anything was ever around. And I and I, and I was in, in the cemetery at night a few different times. Mm, just like messing around as a kid, like sneaking out and like going up to the cemetery. Right, right. But I, but I never messed around, I messed around with any, I never tried to pull off any like rituals or weird things. Right, but I'm, I'm sure I got the chills or something, but, yeah. I, but I don't remember a specific incident, no. Yeah. In my family, it was really tradition. And actually, both of my parents still do this. You would go like in the springtime to clean off the headstones of our family members, you know, from like the debris of the winter. Oh, okay. And, yeah. You know, like really like take care of them. I mean, headstones are really freaking expensive. Yeah. So I think it was also like a sense of pride and all of that. And then, you know, we would go to the cemetery on my grandmother or my grandfather's birthday and Mother's Day and Father's Day and Christmas and yeah. Easter and like the big, mostly the big church holidays because we went to church. So, you yeah. know, it's um, a big deal. But I don't get the impression that your family went to the cemetery very often for the purpose of visiting the dead. Mm, no, actually. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't think so. I don't remember. I don't remember ever going to the cemetery with my great grandma. 
Uh, my grandma would go with me, but she would be like, like, okay. <laughs> like, She's like, like, I'm she, not interested? Yeah, she, did, she wasn't like, hey, let's go to the cemetery. It was always like me pushing for it, which, yeah. is, which is weird, but it's like, again, there wasn't that many places to play where I grew up. It's a, yeah, it's a whole thing. But like, and then, and then my, <laughs> you've talked about it before. Yeah, yeah. Then my mom, I remember kind of same thing. I'd like, I'd like walk the dog up kind of in that area. Yeah. And I remember at least once or twice her coming with me, but I don't remember anyone in my family ever being like, let's go to the cemetery. Oh, yeah. It was or like, them going to pay respects just ever. That's so interesting. We would go and I mean, once I could drive as well, yeah. like I would go, I was really close to my dad's mom, my grandma Tilly, and I would go and just like sit at her grave and like talk to her or the abyss or whatever. Yeah. For hours. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, it was yeah. like a safe place. And I don't know. It was just, I don't know. And I even, see that. Yeah. Even now, like I know um, both of my parents will go and care for their, their parents' tombs and maybe, or uh, headstones. Maybe mm-hmm. it's a thing of the past. You know, maybe it's a generational thing that was handed down to them because I have to wonder, like now my mom and I have talked. She's, I mean, you know, things that come with life. Like, I have to know what her last wishes are and all of those things. And she just said to me the other day, she goes, I think I want to be cremated. Like, no one goes to to cemeteries to visit the way they used to. And mm-hmm. there's just so many more people now, Lindsay. There's just not enough room. I, I don't know if I would be able to be buried in the same cemetery as my parents. Like, mm-hmm. it's such a different thought process. Yeah. They, didn't, they yeah. don't have a family plot, so there's that. And, you know... But anyways, I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, I think I think I want to be buried. I, I, I like going to cemeteries. Yeah, uh, I think we're going to be buried with your grandparents, yeah. right? Yeah, I just had the most random thought, you know, because my grandpa's tombstone has not showed up yet. Yeah. But I thought, you know, like all the tombstones in the Riggins Cemetery are, are pretty modest. Uh-huh. And just how funny it would be just for me. My family, would they would be furious with me. Furious. But you'll already this. be dead, so what does it matter? <laughs> no, not for me. I was thinking for Grandpa Ward. Oh. Just have like like this massive... Like six feet tall, just monument, like maybe like a statue. And then just like, because you can inscribe what you want, like right. inscribe like voted best body in the Riggins oh Cemetery, like better than any other corpse here, you know, kind of thing, you know, just like how much that would infuriate like all the other families. I think that if we do buy plots in that cemetery or I mean, we actually have to figure that out, but mm-hmm. um, before, because it's not very big. Yeah. I think that it should be a statue. I think it should be in our wills that we have the most ridiculous things. I want to be shirtless and just riding a fucking mighty steed. Okay. And I want. And I want. And I want. Do you, you have long you, hair, Fabio? Mm, yeah, I have long hair. Okay. And it's not like full, so it's not like gratuitous. But you can tell I have like half wood. Okay. Like in my in my where pants. Am I, where am I? What am I doing? You're you're right behind me. Okay. On the back okay, of the horse. Just checking. You're topless. Too. I was making sure I wasn't the steed. No, you're topless. You're like you're like um you're top. Maybe you have like a bow or something Ooh, like okay. like Amazonian kind of Ooh. warrior woman. Yeah. Let's just go real dramatic. Okay, let's do it. Now, are they- and, then, uh, and then the inscription is just, fuck yeah, bro. <laughs> like, big. Here's the thing. <laughs> I think I think both of our kids would find this to be so fucking hilarious. Oh, my God. Kyler the- would be crying oh, laughing. It would change the tone of the whole cemetery. Oh, my God. God, that is so funny to me. What if, what if cemeteries were fun? Like, in that way. Mm-hmm. Instead of them being so... Let's start a cemetery. Instead of them being start so... Start a funitary. Uh, We'll open up funitary, <laughs> and it's like you can bury your family there or yourself, but only if it's something funny. You have to you have to make it over the top. I do kind of dig that concept <laughs> as a as a general idea, yeah. Because cemeteries, of course, they're sad. You know, you're putting mm-hmm. you're you're saying goodbye to someone that you loved, all the things, yeah. But they don't have to be so somber, right? I mean, yes, in the moment of burial, of course, no one wants the steed to show up then. <laughs> 
<laughs> I just picture somebody who is really sad, you know, like they're going to like pay their respects to their grandma. And then they just, it's so hard to like absorb the moment, like get into that moment because they just keep seeing in their peripheral vision. This just like, fuck yeah, bro. Like this big horse statue. Just like, God damn it. Just so annoyed. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I would not, I would not be thrilled to see that on my so-and-so's burial day. Right. Uh. Oh man. This is a great story. Okay, good. Yeah, I liked it. it was Thank very, you. Very creepy. I, uh, this is another note I wrote down that is not spooky at all. Mm-hmm. But I wrote prom homecoming equals sex. Why? Why does everyone have sex like after a dance or like like? I don't know. It's like a ritual. It is. I mean, I'm so I mean, lame. Some, I lost my virginity after homecoming. Like how lame. I didn't. I know. It's okay, sweetie. <laughs> we all know. How weird that the guy who fantasizes about horse statues at cemeteries didn't have sex after prom. <laughs> oh god you were so cool (laughs) oh my god i was such a weirdo and you are still a weirdo Mm -hmm. it's just that you found your other weirdo there you go so you know it's all good do you want to hold on to my crystal for me nope dang it you your arm went i know i went to like oh she's holding no she doesn't try and trick me dang it dang it i know i was trying real hard okay who do you got this week layla i got layla layla how's she smelling she's got she's done (gasps) she's done with her smells no let me see no, for sure she's done. Let me see. Let me see. Toss her. No, no more gingerbread smells. Oh my god, she smelled out. Where's the other? She one? lasted months. The other one smelled out too. Oh no. Yeah. Okay, guys, send more chocolate. <laughs> I gotta find smelling it. Layla's. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> that was slightly creepy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so like I said, my first story um, takes us to. Um, well, I didn't tell you this. It takes us to Mexico, where one of our LDS fans was on mission. Okay. And I think that I we just haven't heard it from this perspective. So okay. I actually don't know what that religion feels about the possibility of spirits and whatnot. Oh, but, yeah. Very, uh, yeah. The afterlife is very prominent in LDS. And I think uh, as far as ghosts, I don't think – I don't know that there's anything in the actual theology. Right. I was but I know that uh, just having had a lot of uh, Mormon friends over yeah. the years, that it feels like the supernatural is very much um, – part of that culture but is it or is I, I it just afterlife like no, no afterlife N- not officially i mean yeah. I, I doubt I, I can't remember if it is actually or not but i do know that it uh it seems as if a lot of lds do believe in the paranormal what would you think if i just put this crystal down my, my bra right now yeah put the sword in there well i was just thinking like then would you want to hold it <laughs> <laughs> i'll look at it Oh dear! I'll just put, I'll put it up here. Okay, I got it. I got it. I need to keep the selenite wand on me this week. Mm-hmm. Okay, so well, it's a more traditional story of a possible attachment, um, but yeah, I just think this is kind of a, a cool angle for a different story. Okay. Hello, Dan and Lindsay. This is my first time writing in, so I'll briefly say that, like many others, I love all of the content that you and your amazing team produce. Thank thank you you. so much. I began as a fan of Dan's comedy several years ago, and in late 2019, Time Suck became the first podcast I ever listened to. I began with episode one and binged as much as possible at work until I caught up, and I've listened regularly ever since. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Three weeks ago, I finally began listening to Scared to Death, and I was quite quickly hooked i was so freaked out by the events endured by the lachance family in the union house Mm -hmm. that i actually began to Mm. shake a bit and even cried at work as certain elements touched a nerve of of familiarity with me i have now made it to the end of the crescent hotel episode and i'm eager to continue catching up 
The parallels between my own experience and some of the stories you've presented have inspired me to share this. I have only ever told the full tale to four people besides those who were directly involved. And this is my first time ever attempting to put it all in written form. My story took place nearly 23 years ago. I was a 19-year-old missionary of the Jesus of... I'm sorry. (laughs) I said that all wrong. I was a 19-year-old missionary of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, serving in the Tampico Mexican Mission. Tampico is a large and very busy seaport located where the Panuco River empties into the Gulf of Mexico. In the summer of 1998, I was assigned to be in a city called Monte. Monte is about 78 miles west of Tampico and 283 miles south of the U.S. border at the southernmost tip of Texas. Although not a very small city, the population was roughly 100,000 people back then. Mm. It was, however, very isolated from the other areas in which missionaries were serving. There were six of us in Monte every And every LDS missionary always had an assigned companion. And typically, every few months, they will enter, I'm sorry, they will either be transferred to a new area or be assigned to a different companion. During their mission, they use the title elder or sister plus their last name. Monte was the second city in which I served, and I was with my third different companion. His name was Elder Bautista. And from this point on, I'll refer to him and the other missionaries by last name only. Two of the elders lived in their own uh, own apartment while Bautista and I shared an apartment with elders Ramirez and Anderson. Our apartment was an oddly located and accessed building. The buildings on our street bordered directly with the sidewalk. To get inside, we stood on the sidewalk and unlocked a dark red metal door, which opened into a long hallway. At the end of that, we climbed a set of stairs, which turned left halfway up, bordered by a wall on the right, and then continued up to the second floor. The wall was about 10 feet tall and was topped with a chain-link fence that reached the second floor ceiling, and through the fence we could look down on a large storage area that belonged to a small shop located beneath our apartment. It was like a strange building within a building thing. There was a small landing outside our living space, which which wrapped around one side and looked down the entrance hallway. Another section of chain-link fence prevented anyone from falling down into the entryway. Our ancient washing machine was on the side landing next to a window in our tiny kitchen. The living space had the kitchen, a dining area, two bedrooms, and one bathroom. The bedroom windows had metal bars on the outside, a very common residential security feature in all of the areas in which I served. Before I went to Monte, I learned that among my fellow missionaries, it had the nickname of El Segundo Inferno, which means the second hell. This was due to the brutal heat, which was the norm here. I arrived in August 1998 and was treated to daytime highs of 115 or 16 degrees, topped off by nights, which rarely fell below 80 degrees. I had been there less than two months when I found a different and far more apt reason for its nickname. My companion, Bautista, was our zone leader, which means he was in charge of all of us within the city. So it was him that Ramirez and Anderson came for help and guidance with a particular problem. They had been teaching a woman who had a young teenage daughter, Monica. Monica told Ramirez and Anderson that she had been having a lot of dark thoughts, and she believed that she had lots of feelings of evil influences in her life. After discussing things with Bautista, it was decided that all four of us would visit Monica and her mother. We went to their home on an evening soon thereafter. I must apologize. I cannot recall the details with which we had a conversation, 
But I do remember that based on what was said, we came to tentatively tentatively believe that an evil spirit was oppressing and possibly even possessing Monica. Being a Christian, I had grown up believing the biblical accounts of Jesus and his disciples casting evil spirits out of people. But to me, that always seemed so remote, like something that I never believed I myself might witness. We eventually asked Monica and her mother if we might offer a prayer, and they agreed. As we all sat on the couch and chairs in their living room, Bautista began to pray that they would be comforted and protected, and that the evil would have no place in their hearts or in their home. We, when he began, Monica sat quietly, listening to the rest of us. But she soon began to get restless, moving around in her seat and mumbling to herself. As Bautista continued, she grew increasingly agitated to a point we could no longer ignore. She began wringing her hands, clenching and shaking them and saying, no, 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 louder and louder. Bautista had to stop praying as Monica began shaking and yelling incoherently. She jumped up and her mother tried to restrain her, to calm her, but Monica continued speaking loudly and fighting her mother's grip. She ran into a bedroom, nearly screaming, and we all followed after her at her mother's request. In the room, Bautista tried speaking to her as she violently shook, cried, moaned, and yelled. But as bizarre as her bizarre behavior continued, he began speaking at her and no longer to her, as if he were addressing someone that we could not see. In a loud voice, he began to demand, In the name of Jesus Christ, we order you to get out. In the name of Jesus Christ, we command you to leave her. Monica shook with another spasm and collapsed onto the bed. Had we just witnessed a legitimate encounter with an evil spirit? While I was skeptical of what seemed to be a very dramatic experience, it was definitely unnerving. Her mother sat back and held Monica as she began sobbing repeatedly. He's just going to come back. He's going to come back. That's what he told me. He said he's going to come back. We did our best to assure her that it wasn't going to happen unless she herself allowed and welcomed such a thing. We spoke with them for a few more minutes and then began to leave. It was then that we learned that a man who was either a friend or a relative of the family had been waiting outside. He asked us what we were, what we thought about the dog's behavior. We didn't understand. He explained that several dogs at several nearby houses, by several nearby houses, had simultaneously begun to bark and howl frantically. He told us it sounded as if they were all frightened or injured. He said it was so loud and that it lasted at least a couple minutes. He was very insistent about this. We asked him to specify exactly when this had happened, and we determined it was at the very moment that Monica had collapsed onto the bed and began telling us that he was going to come back. He couldn't understand why we didn't know about the dogs. Now, here I have to explain that in this part of the world, most home construction is very poor quality. The houses are not well insulated, and air conditioning is extremely rare. So Monica and her mother, like most other people, had their windows wide open at night. Yet after a quiet discussion, we came to the very unsettling realization, none of us, not one of us, who had been inside had heard a single bark or howl mm. from a dog. Now I know he might have connected, now I know he might have concocted a story about the dogs, but he had no motive for doing that. He had not been there earlier and had no idea what was happening inside. We returned to our apartment, believing that there was nothing more to be done. We were admittedly on edge, and when we got home, we spoke some more about how bizarre the night had been. For the next two days, everything was back to normal. Two nights after those events, I woke up sometime during the night. I was a moderately heavy sleeper and would usually not wake during the night. I lie there wondering why my sleep had been interrupted. I had not heard any loud noises, nor did I need to use the restroom. 
I soon realized that I was definitely wide awake. I sat up and I looked around. A small amount of light from the street was coming through the windows next to Bautista's bed. I could make out the oscillating fan between our beds. I heard its droning sound and felt its welcomed breeze each time it turned towards me, giving me intermittent relief from the hot summer night. I could feel my bed, the thin sheet still covering my legs. I could dimly see Bautista on his bed. He was shifting as he slept. Everything appeared perfectly fine to me. I could not see or hear or smell anything out of the ordinary, so why was I suddenly wide awake? I had the very distinct impression that I had not awoken of my own accord. I felt very specifically and powerfully that I had been rather awakened for a specific purpose. But what? In the very faint light, I could make out the form of Bautista rolling from side Mm. to side. I also noticed that he was groaning very softly. Do you see that shadow? No. Oh my God, that was so weird. Okay. But for what? In the very faint light, I could make out a form of Batista rolling from side to side on his bed. And I also noticed he was groaning very softly, and he seemed to be moving his hands over his abdomen. Bacteria and parasites that cause nausea and diarrhea were extremely common ailments throughout the entire areas of my mission. So that's what I thought it was. He must be sick. It was my duty as his companion to see if he was okay. He appeared to be asleep still, but intestinal illness needed urgent action. I asked him if he was all right. Or at least, I tried to. My mouth was moving, but no sound came out. Confused, I tried to call to him again, but silence. Now my confusion changed to fear as another distinct impression came to my mind. I was not allowed to speak. Concentrating hard, I tried to call to Bautista a third time, and a third time my mouth moved, but no sound produced. My tongue is bound, I thought, but my body can move freely. My bed was next to the door, and I knew that from where I was sitting, I could easily reach the light switch. I felt that it was important to not look away from Bautista, so I carefully placed my hand on the wall and slid it up until I felt the light switch. Keeping my gaze fixed on Bautista, I flipped the switch. The light instantly filled the room, and my heart nearly stopped. There was a shadow. It looked like a shadow at least, but nothing in the room, nothing in the world could cast such a shadow. It looked like a cloud that was literally made of darkness. It was about half the length of the bed, and it was clearly not in contact with any surface. The light had no effect on it. There was no face, no eyes, Mm -hmm. no limbs, and no features, yet I knew immediately that it was intelligent, that it was aware of me. It was suspended in midair several inches above Bautista, who was clearly still sound asleep. It was there for about two seconds, just long enough to see, and it... It was there for about two seconds and just long enough to see it clearly as if it wanted me to see it. Then, in a silent and very swift rush, it left. It did not dissipate. It did not vanish. It went away, shooting right through the window as if the screen and metal bars outside were of no hindrance to it. The instant it was gone, I began to yell with all my might and oh, the sound. I was known for having a very deep voice and now it boomed out. Elders, wake up! Ramirez, Anderson, get in here now! Bautista shot up, confused and frightened. Anderson and Ramirez came running as fast as they could. I saw it. I saw it. It was here. It was going after Bautista, I told them. Trying to fight down the adrenaline, I could not stop shaking as I told them all what had happened. Every detail from the time I woke up. Their eyes were wide and their mouths were hanging open. I had never before and never since felt such terror. I don't recall what time it was, but I do remember that none of us could sleep anymore that night. A day or two after, Bautista added a final and very disturbing piece of information. Mm. 
He confided to me that on the night before my encounter, he himself had inexplicably woken sometime during the night, but not in bed. He said that he woke up to find himself standing next to my bed with no idea how he had gotten there. He did not remember getting up from his bed. He said he found himself staring at me with a vague but nagging thought of harming me in some way. Now, Bautista and I had never had any argument or any other issue. We got along well, and there was no rational reason why he would ever want to hurt me. Furthermore, I was a six foot one, 170 pound, very athletic guy. He was about nine inches shorter and 40 pounds lighter than me. If we ever did have a physical altercation, I could have easily overpowered him if I were wide awake and saw him coming. But if he had given into that strange urge to attack me in my sleep, I could have been seriously injured or killed without ever having a chance to defend myself. Luckily for me, he overcame whatever he was feeling and returned to his bed. The next month, Bautista completed his two-year mission and returned home. I did not share my experience with any other missionary, only the mission president. And on February 2nd, 2000, I completed my two years and returned home. In the 21 years that followed, I have only shared this tale with three family members. While many details have long since faded from my memory, others remain perfectly clear. I have never had any additional paranormal experiences, and I have never experienced sleep paralysis, night terrors, or anything along the lines. I hope I never again feel such a presence of pure evil. Should get a solid three out of five stars. <laughs> Please keep up your amazing, intriguing, spine-tingling work. You've got a loyal creep here. And that was anonymous, right? Well, I, you know, they didn't sign it anonymous, but I get nervous when people don't say one way or the other if we can use their name. Okay, okay. So I'm just going to leave it. Yeah, Because, yeah. you know, before I share the stories, I email people to say, hey, your story's going to be on the show, and would you like the, your name? I try to clarify. So um, given his religious background, I just want to be respectful yeah, of that. Yeah, just to err on the side just of caution. Just in case. No, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What a ding. Now I'm losing, uh, lost my thought. Um, Do you need a refresher? Mm, no, dang it. I had a thought like right before that, um, the name there, but just, uh, oh, uh, I know what it was. Yes. Uh, he didn't, he didn't wake up, you know, when that, uh, Batista was, uh, above his bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how terrifying would that be? Especially in a situation like that. You don't really know them. I mean, you kind of know them, but it's, right. it's not like a friend you chose. Uh, oh, my it's, God. Uh, it's just somebody, you know, you're on a mission with or, you right. know, whatever. <laughs> and, and just, they're from all over, right? I'm imagining mm-hmm. it's not necessarily that you're from the same church or no, yeah. I don't think so. I think you, I, th- I think I don't think I don't think I have looked into that before. I think it is random pairings. I think so. It's sort of just like a college roommate. Mm-hmm, where where yeah, and, and I don't I don't think you normally. I could be wrong on this. I don't think you get to choose where you go on your mission necessarily either. I don't. Th- I think maybe you can choose like because they do like intensive in country la- or out of country maybe, but uh, yeah, I don't even know because I know they'll do like intensive language course or they used to at least before they go to some place. So if you're going to some other country, it's like in this immersive language program at the beginning to get you ready to do missionary work in that country, as opposed to like it's very cool actually. Yeah, yeah, as opposed to like knowing the language and then you know you get to pick like uh, any Spanish speaking country right, or any French speaking. Right. I think they tell you where you're going to go, then teach you the language. But um, I don't know that it, I've ever heard of Mormons going on a mission to France. That just really threw me. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, French-speaking countries, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, just to be like, you know, in some random kind of barracks almost type situation. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden somebody, like if you were to wake up and someone's oh standing God. by your bed in the middle of the night and with kind of like an angry presence. Yeah. Uh, that's also kind of fresh in my mind because I finally did finish like the house, uh, like the Bly Manor. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And there is, uh, I'm not going to give any spoilers, but there's a moment there where one character ends up kind of, you know, leaving uh, because she finds herself 
uh, awake in the middle of the night, you know, by somebody. And she's afraid that this presence inside her is going to drive her to kill this person she cares for. That's interesting. But I, yeah. Ye. In my mind, I'm on the sinner because we've been watching season three of The Sinner. Mm, which is good so far. So good. I, again, don't want to give anything away, yeah. but there's a character. That's, this is not a spoiler. Mm-hmm. Nick. Mm-hmm. And Nick and um, Jamie become friends in college. So I was just kind of thinking about the randomness of college roommates. Mm-hmm. You know, like that. I mean, I know that they, the colleges do, you know, background check and all that. But like, I don't know, at that age, yeah, you know, you can do. have sealed records. Yeah. And yeah. I mean... You just don't know, and you don't know where someone's coming from. Like maybe they've been coming from a, a very abusive household, right? Or, right? You don't right, know don't what know we all have shit, and you don't know yeah. what kind of shit they're bringing in. Yeah, but that uh, that part was scary. Yes, but then when you tie it to the possible exorcism that they maybe sort of kind of witnessed with Monica, it's like did that thing? Did they expel it from Monica, and then it mm-hmm. attached to one of them, and then yeah. they brought it home with them? The dog detail was interesting, too. Isn't that bizarre? Uh-huh. You, you do hear about in, like, uh, cases of supposed, you know, possession, exorcisms, that kind of stuff, sound getting real weird. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, and, and or in, like, poltergeist activity type situations, you hear these stories where I, it makes me think of uh, uh, Butch DeFeo, the junior, the guy oh. who killed the family. That he just for, died. Mm-hmm, he just died uh, recently in prison. The mm-hmm. guy, you know, went to jail or prison for the Amityville murders. Mm-hmm. But that was part of that case. Was, you know, n- the oh, neighbors yes. didn't hear any of the sounds. And then the family that moved into the house after the DeFeo killings, the Lutz family, I got so many stories. Yes, in my head. I yes. think it's, yeah, the Lutz family. Well, that was part of their story was that they, you know, you, you would hear weird sounds that right. wouldn't be heard in other parts of the house. Yeah, there's a lot of just odd stuff with like auditory. I don't want to say hallucinations, if these, no. but, but like auditory disturbances that sound doesn't work like it's supposed to. Something will happen in one room, be very loud. Mm-hmm. People in the next room won't hear anything at all. But in like in like a lot of demonic presence infestation tales that comes up. Right. It's such a weird thing. Well, and also I'm sort of over here holding my breath because I wanted to oh. jump in, but I didn't want to cut you off. We get a lot of stories about people will be out in the woods or the forest mm. hiking and they'll say, we couldn't hear anything. There wasn't. Right. There was, you didn't hear Eerie the sound. silence. Right. You don't hear the sound of any crickets, birds, critters, snakes. Like you just don't hear that like rustling kind of sound that you so acutely match to being in wilderness right like, it's like those sounds you don't even notice till they're gone exactly like because that would be so eerie mm-hmm. if you're taking a hike out in the woods oh my especially God. like the dark woods and then all of a sudden the only sound you can hear is the sound of your own footsteps and literally nothing else like just your sounds it makes my stomach hurt so much silence can be so oppressive and disturbing absolutely absolutely i made a note uh, this is how ridiculous sh- I, I wrote. Comment on nice dress and cool earrings. <laughs> so yeah, I like your dress. Thank you. And you have cool earrings. These earrings are very cool. I don't know that you can like really. They're see really them. cool. They're um, uh, handmade by an artist, and they're just like clay. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, whatever. I could show them on Instagram. From, this, you- from over here, they, look, they remind me almost of obsidian, but uh, matte huh. instead of kind of glossy. Yeah. Yeah. If you if you live in the area. Spokane or Coeur d'Alene or are coming through yeah. town, there is, this is so random, there's a great plant shop called Fern on Lakeside, and they have an accumulation of, like, That's also... Where you got those earrings? Yeah, they huh. also have, like, you know, cool, like, candles mm. and crystals and uh, earrings, like, you know, just, like, a little this, a yeah, little that. It's a, nice, it's a very nice outfit. Thank you. Hmm? We should teach you some other adjectives. You look beautiful. Thank you. There you go. Ladies, do you love it when your significant other says, you look nice? <laughs> you did tell me earlier when I came in, you said, you look very pretty. 
I did. I, I'm pretty sure you said that. You might have said nice, but I think you said pretty. I think I said pretty. Yeah, I think you said pretty. Uh, you're so cute. You get like um, flustered when you want to tell me I'm pretty. I don't know why. It's always it always feels weird. Contrived. Yeah, yeah but it's, it, even though it's not, I know it feels like it's going to be interpreted like oh, okay, which it never is. No, I don't know where that comes from in my head. I, I don't honestly know. don't. No, oh, I don't know. I love that voice that you just did. <laughs> um, okay, well, since that story was like a little bit lengthy, I thought mm-hmm. this was a good spot to put in a, a smaller story. Okay. Um, so we are off to our, um, oh my God, Haunted Radio Station. Oh, yeah. And when I say Haunted Radio Station, I immediately have a few thoughts. I think about Davis on Treme. Yes. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. And like the, mm-hmm. uh, it's a character on a TV show and he works at a radio station and it's in New Orleans. So I'm like, oh, I, I DJ, bet DJ that. Davis. Yeah, I bet that radio station probably is haunted. Just yeah. like think about location because mm-hmm. it wasn't always a radio station. And I told you, I think about pirate radio. Mm-hmm. And lastly, but never the least, I always think about Joe Paisley because we stole he, him from the radio yeah, station. Worked, yeah, worked in rock radio. Yeah, maybe that building was haunted. I've never asked him. Yeah, I mm-hmm. don't know. All right. Well, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, so our fan, whose name is Dan. Good name. It's okay. He has a great story for us. He says, in 1987, I obtained my first real paycheck job at a haunted radio station where a murder supposedly occurred in the 50s. I learned of the rumors about the station being haunted not long after I had been working there as people began to throw out their stories and theories on whether or not it was or was not true. You know, water cooler talk. (laughs) It was a pretty easy gig. I worked the midnight to 6 a.m. shift, playing some ads and giving weather updates a few times an hour. The music was piped in, so all I had to do was my part and then I could goof off all night. I would have my friends come and hang out with me. On a few occasions, we'd experience some odd happenings, but the creepiest experience was something we heard one night. A few of my friends stopped by to visit, like normal, and our buddy Mike wanted to goof around in the sound room. He thought it would be fun to play some Rush as he (laughs) sang along and recorded himself on Reel to Reel. He came out of the sound room looking a bit panicked. He was telling us how we needed to come take a listen to his recording, like really needed to come hear it. He was acting a bit weird, but we didn't think anything of it. Honestly, we just assumed he'd created a goofy recording and was super proud of himself. He hit the playback on the Reel to Reel. He sounded horrible in his duet with Getty Lee, but that wasn't what he wanted to show us. There was a strange sound mixed in over the top of the recording just for a second. Mm. The track suddenly sounded quicker and garbled and mixed. I rolled the reel backwards by hand and then slowly rolled the reel forward. God damn. Clear as a fucking bell. Help me. Help me. We heard coming off the track. What the fuck? It wasn't as if Mike had somehow become some recording expert who could make the voice himself at a different speed and then make it stomp right over the top of the music. I somehow convinced myself that it was just some kind of tech glitch, but I still get the chills every time I think about it. Nights alone in that radio station were never really quite the same after that. The station burned to the ground several years ago, and the last time I saw the lot, it was filled with satellite dishes. So I assume mm-hmm. they're still piping out the easy listening hits of the 60s and <laughs> 70s. Dan. Thanks, Dan. My brain went to such a weird place. I've been listening to a lot of 50s music yeah. uh, this past few weeks. Uh-huh. And so when you brought up like a murder in the 50s, this radio station. Did I'm, you get so excited? I, I just had such a strong, weird visual in my head. Almost oh. like I was there. I was picturing like people smoking. I could smell cigarette sure. smoke. You know, that era. People putting on records. I had Fats Domino. Just, I found my thrill. That Blueberry Hill song. Yeah. Oh, but I was like, I felt like I was there. 
Yeah. And that made me want a cigarette real bad. Mm-hmm. I know when I watch, when you watch those period pieces now, mm-hmm. like uh, back then these people smoked. What a, gr- what a great time to smoke when you could do it guilt-free because you didn't think it was bad for you. Right. When doctors were actually telling you it was good for Go you. Go for it. So there's no like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. There's, I should be doing more of this. Right, right. Right. Hey, did you ever watch Mad Men? Uh, no, I never did. And, and I know it's it. great. I never did watch I, it. I didn't either. Oh, okay. Smoking. I just was like, oh my God, I so much smoking. Don Draper. Right, John Hamm would play this oh, kid, right? so handsome, yes. <laughs> he really is. He is. And no, I didn't, good. Good I didn't know him from that show. I forget what else he was in that I was like, who is that? And someone was like, it's, it's Don Draper. Rumored to have a giant penis. But you guys have that in common. I'm rumored to have a giant penis? Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to give you a nice compliment. <laughs> That's fantastic. Right? I mean, isn't that like the whole thing? You're going to be on the steed with like oh, a yeah. little half chub mm-hmm. 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 Uh-huh. fuck yeah bro do you know how many kids listen to this show oh no i forgot about that <laughs> well we, we know but it's labeled as an adult show i know i know and honestly i i it kills me because we're the kind of parents that would have let our kids listen to it it's like yeah right now well, they're hearing uh, odds are they're hearing much worse than us uh from their friends it's cool for sure <laughs> we're watching game of thrones with the kids and i forgot how much dick is in the first episode or in the first too. season and like every so often i just see monroe kind of like she's not ready for it but now kyler is in a different phase mm-hmm. where it's like a naked naked boobs and he's just like i know what i noticed that he's not he, turning away he's not fidgeting it's a different he, he, phase. he always made a joke before if it yep. happened to come on you're like, like oh shoot and now and now he's just like yeah just yeah, i mean he he's not say anything, doing that but, but, he, but he's but he's definitely not looking away no he's not but mm-hmm. you know what it doesn't Watching Game of Thrones with him doesn't feel as weird as how I still feel watching any sex scene with my mom. So I think we've done a good job of normalizing sex in our house. I don't know how he feels. He might feel super weird watching it near you. Oh. All right, fine. Do you want to do some shout-outs, Dan? I do. Okay, what you got? What you got? Okay, so I have uh, thank you to the Annabelles, uh, the following Annabelles, for supporting our show. Uh, Chris Durbin. Mama loves creepy 1981. That is a great uh, the best. Patreon handle. It's the best. <laughs> Sabrina Ramsey. Uh, Deanna Walton, Hannah Bowers, Alicia Means, Joshua Valdiva or Valdivia, Nicole Pipkin, Gary Carsey, Leslie Johnson, Jade Dorman, Caitlin Abel, Anthony No Last Name Given, Mary No Last Name Given, and then Autumn Ranowski. Okay. I would like to thank the Annabelles, Connor Tate, Martin Siesto, Shannon Two, Monique Men- Mendonca. Mendonca, Tanya Leon, John Rios, Amrit Kaur Matharu. I love that name, Matharu. Matharu, yeah. Great. Mm -hmm. Jessica Stoner, Robert Oliver, Ashley Troxel, Bam Stroker. Bam Stroker. Bam Stroker. (laughs) So fucking great. Instead of Bram Stroker. Bram Stoker. (laughs) Wow, you were quick. Yeah. William Nauman Jr., Aaron (laughs) Serrano, Brandon McKellop, Julie Pogue, and, and Julie Pogue, that's it. There you go. There you go. Sorry. Normally, I cut and paste. I cut yours out. So then yeah. I was like, oh, wait, I already heard Chris Durbin's name. <laughs> and you, I'm guessing you have some spoopy shout outs. I do. I have a spoopy shout out to Courtney from Kelly. Happy birthday. To Ginger Bean from Sophie. Happy 30th birthday, old man. Ginger Bean. I know. I'm like That's a great nickname. To... Um, Kesha, no, Keisha, to Keisha from Jared. Happy birthday. And a little love to the kids, Farah, Christian, Brennan, a whole spoopy family that Cute. listens together. So adorable. Sorry about today's show. Sorry. 
Well, we have so much to apologize for if we're going to start now. <laughs> to Emma from your mom, Erin, I love you. And to Emily from your mom, Nikki, happy 21st birthday. And then I have a little shout out of my own. Oh. A couple weeks ago, when we were doing Annabelle shout outs, we gave a shout out to somebody who was listed as the Mad Irishman. Mm-hmm. But they have that wasn't actually the name that they oh. had wanted. So it's my personal apology to you, Alan Howell. Okay. You will not go down as the mad Irishman forever. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, and that is our show today. Woo-hoo. So thank you for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scared to death podcast.com. You can email us for everything else. Info at scared to death podcast.com. Thanks to Logan Keith, whipping up visual magic. Whipping it up. Whipping it up over at badmagicmerch.com. Uh, store at badmagicproductions.com for customer service. Thanks to producer Sophie Evans for helping with story curation. Joe Paisley for production. Zach Flannery for directing today. Woohoo, Zach! Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation. Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails. Subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube if you'd like to watch these shows. Maybe check out our other shows. Uh, also, see weekly animations now. Thank oh, you. yeah! Yeah, thank you, Thomas Royal. Uh, follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you want more content at Scared to Death Podcasts. And we have a private Facebook group, Creeps and Peepers. Thanks to Liz, Her- Liz Hernandez for moderating. And if you don't want to hear ads, if you want monthly bonus episodes and more, find us on Patreon. Enjoy your nightmares, Creeps and Peepers. Hope you were scared to death. Bye, guys. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through, but have no home here within scared to death. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What are the things that weigh you down on a day-to-day basis? What kind of stress are you holding on to? Do you spend much of your day going over things in your brain over and over until they are so distracting it affects your mental health? Well, don't worry. You're not alone. We all carry different stressors, some big, some small. When we keep things bottled up, the results can be negative. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest without fear or judgment. It's a place to work through what is heavy on your mind and heart so that you can feel lighter and happier. I'm always holding on to something. It's the way my anxious brain works. I'm continually worried that I've done something wrong, that I've hurt the feelings of someone I love, and that I have let someone down. I'm stressed that I'm not being a good enough mom or wife. I panic that our life will implode at any given moment and it'll all be my fault. Thankfully, I have an amazing therapist who helps me talk through each of these scenarios. After each and every appointment, I feel lighter, happier, and more capable of showing up as my most authentic self. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash scared to death today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash scared to death.